Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show I haven't done an economic update in a while, and I know a lot of people rely on me for that because that is kind of my forte. Um, so I'm going to give you one, and it's a little dark, as you'd probably imagine. Financial strategist. Uh, this is the Daily Wire, which is a conservative rag. I don't know if it's any good, but say Federal Reserve is in deep trouble as it tries to handle inflation. No shit. Odeon Capital Group Chief Financial Strategist Dick Bove is warning that the Federal Reserve is in deep trouble as it attempts to battle inflation. Yeah, I know. Uh, consumer prices rose by 7% between December 2020 and, and December 2021. So that's 7% year over year. That is very, very high for those that don't know. Oh, they go on to say the highest rate in roughly 40 years, uh, which was Carter, I believe. In response, the central bank is expected to hike interest rates three times in 2022. And at the end of last year, the Federal Reserve announced that it will pursue a more rapid conclusion to their quantitative easing program by slashing its monthly bond purchases. If the Federal Reserve was a private bank, you would say this company is insolvent, quote uh, Maria, or yeah, with Maria Bar Bartiromo on Fox News. Uh, another quote, the Fed is sitting at borrowing, oh, the Fed is sitting at borrowing money at the shortest end of the curve in order to fund the purchase of long-term treasuries. The balance sheet is a disaster, end quote. For those that don't know, I'll explain a little bit about what that means. When they, when they borrow money, they can borrow it at the short or the long end. Short term would be they have like overnight lending rates, three month bonds, year bonds, and you know, two, three, I think uh, five, 10, 15, 20, and 30 or something like that. Um, so they are basically borrowing money short term, which is cheaper. And then they are directly monetizing. I think this is, that's how I read it, that they're directly monetizing the debt. They're buying US treasuries with short term borrowing from the Fed, which is printing. So that is about as clear an example of how you get hyperinflation or, you know, in modern terms, modern monetary theory, as I've seen. Um, so yeah, that's worthy of your concern. And that is worthy of the inflation fears. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, real, hourly hour, uh, real average hourly earnings decreased by 2.4% be between December 2020 and December 2021. This is what I was talking about. So you have 7% inflation, a lot of people got pay raises because so few people were willing to work during this period, if you remember. And yet real earnings, which is inflation adjusted, dropped almost 3%. So people were getting paid more, but they were poorer. That's an important distinction. So when you have Biden and the, and the Democrats out on the campaign trail this upcoming year saying, you guys are getting pay raises. Oh my God, unemployment's so low. Remember, while they put money in your front pocket, they took out twice as much from your back. That's what happened. Don't forget it and don't forgive it. 45% of small businesses reported taking out a loan to cope with the pressures of inflation in this last year. Large corporations have reported consistent profit margins. Like I said, so basically half of small businesses had to take out a fucking loan to survive. Well, large corporations reported consistent profit margins. Oh, how nice. Big boys stayed pat, better yet, they continued to increase, and the small guys went in debt just to stay alive. 
and you want to tell me that you care about in- income inequality, there is there is no one more responsible for income inequality in the history of the world than central banks. Let me make that real explicit. No entity, no private business, no capitalism, no none of it. Central banks. I don't mean just the Fed. I mean, all central banks through the history of mankind, they are the greatest drivers of income inequality because of the Cantillon effect, because you can borrow money, uh, because whoever gets the money first gets to spend it before the inflation takes hold. So even if it trickles down to the consumer and the everyman, they don't have as much purchasing power. This is a fucking fact. This is how it works. And this is why income inequality exists in large part. And it's why it's not going anywhere because every remedy that they propose you is doubling down on more of the mistakes. Say no. Tell them that you understand the lie and tell them to kick fucking rocks, please. Moving on. I haven't talked about real estate in a while, so let's hit that. December home sales dropped 4.6% as supply hits record low. Now, if you are not economically savvy, you may hear that and go, whoa, whoa. Sales drop. That's terrible. You know, that means a recession's coming. Stay tuned. This is why you have to be able to read these things and think critically because otherwise you just read that headline and you may go, oh, that sounds bad. Well, it is bad, but in the totally opposite way. The median price of an existing home sold in December was 358 grand in, in an increase of 15, 15.8% compared with December 2020. So, well, sales dropped 4.6%. Prices are up. 16% year over year. And what does that mean? It means in inventories at record lows. There were just 910,000 homes for sale at the end of December, a drop of 14.2% from December 2020. So you have inventory down by 14%. You have prices up by 16%. That makes fucking sense because this is a supply and demand issue. Pretty straightforward. I don't know why this is so hard for people to wrap their heads around other than the fact that they were shoved into public school and indoctrinated with nonsense. They don't have any fucking understanding of economics. And now we are under a democratic system with a bunch of economically illiterate fucking idiots that rule over us through this benevolent thing called democracy that ends up being extraordinarily malevolent. What a coincidence. Sales were down 7.1% year over year. Still, December rounded out a year of strong sales, much of that fueled by the COVID pandemic and by the largest generation, millennials aging into their home buying years. Full year 2021 sales came in at 6.12 million, an increase of 8.5% from 2020. It was the strongest sales year since 2016. So even though it was down uh, in December year over year, it's still, there was still an increase somehow of 8.5%. Uh, so we still are moving houses. There's no doubt about that. And there's tons of demand because all these millennials sat on the sidelines. They finally got a job because they were willing to cave and get jabbed up and go get a pay raise. And now interest rates are at record lows, but they're starting to increase, which gets people off the sideline, motivates them thinking that, oh, I got to lock it in while I can. Well, guess what? There's a reason that you don't do that. And I'll explain after this. Both the total supply and month's supply are at all-time lows on the uh, NAR, that's the National Association of Realtors, inventory count, since it began tracking in 1982. So supply and month supply are at all-time lows since I was fucking born. <laughs> Yo, and I'm old. So that's a long time, and that should concern you. 
because that's, I mean, this is the only reason that we really have so much price increasing because, well, it's not the only reason interest rates are the real reason, but the reason we have so little inventory is because interest rates are so low. So borrowing costs are so low that people are buying, even though prices are so extraordinarily high. And then you also had lockdowns and supply chain breakdowns, which made it so that the cost of material inputs increased. And it also made it so that the ability to produce more inventory, more housing decreased because you had so many people that were kicked off of jobs and afraid and you had employment issues and you had employment costs go up too because if you wanted people to work during the pandemic you had to pay them more because so many people were getting such great unemployment checks so literally like government problem government problem government problem government problem what has capitalism done to us these people are ah oh, man come on man <laughs> come on man it kills me uh, for the full time or for the full year, the median price came in at three hundred forty-six thousand nine hundred, a record high and the fastest price growth since nineteen ninety-nine, with a price of seventeen percent year over year. So, if you recall, big economic bubble in ninety-nine. Strong demand was also clear in the average number of days it took to sell a home in December, just nineteen. Nineteen days to move your house. Normal inventory is six months. Nineteen days was the average. <laughs> It's so bad. It's so crazy. All cash purchases remained elevated at 23% of all sales. So people are just dropping hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, some of them, to just buy a house. 23% all cash. That's incredible. Investors also continue to be active, representing 17% of December sales. So when people talk about it being all BlackRock, oh, no one, no one's going to be able to afford a house except for uh, you know, the big mutual hedge fund guys, blah, blah, blah. Like, look, they play a role. And I'm not trying to downplay it. But if you're going to, you know, make it this like, oh, this is the reason that housing is so expensive. Look, they're buying 17% of the houses. Not even, it's not all BlackRock either. I'm sure. It's, maybe it's half if, if they're really lucky. Um, so come on, 17%. Less than one in five of the houses that are being sold are being bought by investors. There's more to this story. You can't just blame back BlackRock, and they are terrible. So I'm not defending them, but it's just really important that people understand this is a bigger deal than just BlackRock. It's about interest rates, Fed manipulation, lockdowns, basically government intervention on every front, and BlackRock is just another branch off of government cronyism. So it's all government, folks. That's the point. Mortgage rates have been rising quickly over the last month, and some expect that to take some of the heat off of home prices going forward. It should, and I think it will. Uh, First-time buyers appear to be coming back to the market, making up 30% of sales after a weaker showing of 24% in November. These buyers may be rushing in concern that mortgage rates will move even higher, and they could end up priced out. We do expect mortgage rates to continue to increase. Some people oh, some people may, may want to jump in as rates increase further, but others may be priced out, said Yoon. But rising prices usually cut home sales. Come on, man. They usually cut home sales. Of course they cut home sales. Price goes up, demand drops. Huh? I mean, it also helps increase supply over time, but like these people, man, it's just, it's just obvious. I don't even know why they make points like that. But the point I wanted to make, so first time home buyers appear to be coming back into the market. And for those that are young, since I'm old as shit, I was an adult 
during the 050607 bubble, which was astronomical in real estate, and then the 0809 collapse. And let me tell you, the the buyer that's left holding the bag is almost always the first time home buyer uh, because they're the most naive, they have the least experience, they lack the economic education, and they're just basically rubes. And I don't say that to denigrate them, to be honest. I just say it as like, that's normally what it is. Um, these are the people that that buy when prices are at all time highs. You know, the, the guys who get into Bitcoin at 65 grand and then when it drops to 35, they go, why would I want that? You know, <laughs> those are the guys that I'm talking about. Uh, so it's not, you don't normally want to be investing with those people is, is the point I'm making. Um, usually they are wrong. So unless we are guaranteed hyperinflation, we are near a top in real estate. And I would be very, 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 very cautious. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't buy, but make sure it's a value. Make sure that you can lock in the interest rates and make sure it's in a state that you really, really want to live in and will respect your property rights. Because if you haven't paid attention, there are many Democrat states and some red across the country during lockdowns that didn't fucking respect your property rights. Do not buy houses there. That's basically like buying an NFT. It's worthless. It's fucking buying air. Uh, not all not all NFTs, but you get the point. Uh, moving on. This is one of the dumbest articles I've ever read. Of course, it's Yahoo Finance. If the Fed wanted to stop inflation, it would need to hike rates to nearly 6%. <laughs> Colon expert. One, they don't know that. You don't You don't know. There's too many fucking variables that go into these calculations. And it's not even a calculation that a human can really make. So inflation is one of the most nebulous, hard to predict things ever. Because there's so many variables that go into it. Economics and stock markets and trajectory of assets is one of the hardest things to predict. Because you're dealing with human emotion and math and you know, economic science and theory and like, it's so complex and governments and policies. And I mean, and crises and national, uh, natural disasters and war and like everything goes into it. So for you to have a hard prediction that comes true, I mean, you could be, you could be right and you could have been right for the right reasons, but there is a tremendous amount of luck, particularly when it comes to timing with making these predictions. So him saying, we got to hike it to 6%, bro. You're out of your fucking mind. If you hike the Fed rate to 6%, that mortgage rates are usually 2 to 3% above that because the bank's got to make a spread. So if you were to hike the Fed rate to 6% and have mortgage rates at 9%, bye-bye real estate market, dead. It would be a dead. Because your carrying cost from a 3% mortgage to a 9% mortgage goes up triple <laughs> in terms of interest. So yeah, no. That would take everything that people have been doing and completely inverse it. People would be renting. Uh, we would have a total depression, a depression, not a recession, an absolute depression. If we had 30-year mortgages at 9% right now, like tomorrow, depression right away. So this guy's stupid. Expert. Yeah. Sorry if I'm speaking a little bit too uh, confidently about this, but... This is what I really know. This is like when Joe Rogan talks about women fighting, uh, you know, transgender people fighting in the MMA. And he's like, this is what I know. Okay. This is what I know. So I'm going to tell you that this guy's wrong. 
Keep it going. I'm about high interest rates because the Fed is talking about raising rates to one or even 2%. Inflation is 7%. 1% or 2% doesn't mean anything. Idiot. Wrong. Continuing on. If they really wanted to stop inflation, they would have to raise rates to 4, 5, 6%. Peter, Peter Fee said on Yahoo Finance Live, fire this guy. Don't ever talk to him again. Peter Fee thinks the Fed wouldn't go that high on rates yet, as it would add new deficit spending as servicing costs on the country's ballooning debt would rise. Yeah, no shit, Peter Fee. So why are you even talking like this? It would fucking bankrupt the country. Are you... Uh, uh. More money would then uh, likely circulate into the economy and put more upward pressure on inflation. Peter Fee reasons. This guy's so stupid. CPI readings showed prices rose at a 7% year-over-year clip at the end of 2021. Yes, covered that. JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon floated the idea last week of seven interest rate increases from the Federal Reserve this year. Yeah, that ain't going to happen unless they, the Great Reset includes a deflationary bust. Because they aren't that crazy. So don't bet on that. I'd say two. That's my that's my prediction. Two, at most three rate increases over the next 12 months. And that will definitely slow things down. I don't think we'll hit recession from that. But if they do two or three in the following year, yes, recession. This is what I've been telling people to pay attention to. So if you're a longtime listener, you will understand why this is important. <clears throat> The 10-year Treasury yield has climbed about 45 basis points since early August. So that means over the past six months, the 10-year Treasury yield is up almost a half percent. I've been I've been citing this and 30-year mortgage market uh, rates as the thing to pay attention to because I genuinely believe if carry costs on these things go up, I've I've been saying one percent. Um, I think that that's where you'll start to see real fissures and trembling in the foundation of the economy. So the fact that it's up 45 basis points in the past six months, could it be uh, temporary? Like they'd like to talk about inflation. I don't know. I don't think so. I think that this is real stress that's starting to come to the surface, uh, but we'll see. Time will tell. It's not early enough. Or it's too early to say, I should say. All right. Now we got some little little pivot. I've been wanting to talk more about January 6th, and basically the war on domestic extremism. I did an episode on it a long time ago uh, when I discovered that Joe Biden under his first day uh, of, of his presidency had a like memorandum or some sort of memo that was issued where they labeled me and liberty-minded people and everybody else as potential domestic extremists, which is fucking cool. Uh, lastly, if you are getting a little out of shape after the holidays, it's now January Come on, get it together. Got that New Year's resolution that you haven't been living up to? Get in the gym. Better yet, don't go to the gym. Get a side shaper. Go to sideshaper.com to find the swiveling ab machine that has been kicking my ass for the past month or two. And you will not regret it. It's a great product. If you're interested, go to sideshaper.com. You can check out a video that will tell you more about it. And if you use the code LIBERTY, you will get $50 off. You can't beat that. It's an exclusive offer to my listeners. Again, Liberty for 50 bucks off. off go to sideshaper.com. Get your ass in shape, son. Yeah, wasn't wasn't a huge fan of that, uh, especially on day one, because it's like, oh, you had a plan for this. Hmm. <clears throat> Despise these people. Anyways, so they they lied about it and they were like, oh no, 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 we're not we're not targeting you know parents that are opposed to lockdowns and PTA meetings. No way. Well, turns out, yeah, they are. 
Uh, Biden's education secretary allegedly requested domestic terrorism letter from school board group. Hey, now, you're an all-star. Go to prison. Never get released. On October 5th, NSBA board member Marnie Maldonado sent an email to fellow board member Christy Sweat asking her whether the NSBA had gone through all the correct procedures before sending the letter to Biden. Quote, I am very concerned about the process by which the statement was made and the tone that essentially allowed the White House to direct the attorney general to consider members of our community domestic terrorists, Maldonado wrote, adding that she wanted the NSBA to focus on civility. In response, Sweat said she agreed that there were communication issues within the NSBA. She also mentioned that Chip Slavin, then interim director of the NSBA, told officers he was writing a letter to provide information to the White House from a request by Secretary Cardona. Oops. <laughs> so that's the little, that's the breadcrumb we're following here. So they denied it. They said that, no, no, no. The Biden administration didn't have anything to do with this. Yeah, they fucking did. Okay, they did. Uh, in an interview with Fox News, PDE President Nicole Neely indicated that the letter Cardona allegedly requested and the domestic terrorism letter are the same thing. Oops, there it is. Uh, should this, oh, by the way, this is on Zero Hedge again. I know, I know I read too much Zero Hedge, but it's fucking good. Uh, should this allegation be true, it would reveal that this administration pretextual war on parents came from the highest levels, as anyone with a thinking brain knew. Attorney General Merrick Garland unequivocally stated that he based his memo on the NSBA's letter, which in turn mobilized the FBI and U.S. attorneys, she said. If Secretary Cardona was truly involved in this ugly episode, it is a significant breach of public trust and he should be held accountable. Yeah, no shit. Labeling parents concerned with the curriculum of their, of their kids? or concerned with the fact that you're treating them like property and masking them for two years, even though they're not in serious jeopardy, like evil, evil. And then you turn around and you label those parents terrorists for voicing those concerns. Not, not the American way, folks, <laughs> to put it mildly. According to internal files leaked to Representative Jim Jordan, who is based and is pretty fucking great at sh shredding people during congressional hearings. So shout out to him for that. Otherwise, he kind of sucks. <clears throat> the top Republican on the House Judiciary Committee, the FBI's Criminal Investigative Division, has created a new threat tag titled EDU Officials, EDU Officials, and directed agents to apply the tag to all investigations and assessments of threats relating to school boards. Hey, so they have a categorization for the radicalized Karens that are upset with the curriculum. These people are so awful. All right, so that's the truth. Now you know it. Don't let them lie to you anymore. Want some more truth? Here we go. Real Clear Investigations, which has done some really great investigative reporting over the past couple of years, um, or at least over the past year that I've been checking them out. So check this one out. This is a mind blower. Cop who killed Ashley Babbitt was cleared of criminal wrongdoing without interview. Hello. This was news to me. Uh, by the way, this was Ashley Babbitt, who was the only fatality at the January 6th riots, which is what I'm going to call them, because I think that's appropriate, what they actually were. Uh, when U.S. Capitol Police, uh, and peaceful protests too, but paired together, you know. Uh, when U.S. Capitol Police Lieutenant Michael Byrd went on NBC Nightly News to tell his side of shooting and killing unarmed January 6th rioter Ashley Babbitt, he made a point to note he'd been investigated by several agencies and exonerated for his actions that day. Quote, there's an investigative process, and I was cleared by the DOJ and FBI and D.C. Metropolitan Police, end quote. He told NBC News anchor Lester Holt in August, adding that the Capitol Police also cleared him of wrongdoing and decided not to discipline or demote him for the shooting. 
because he did such a good job killing an unarmed lady that's very, very tiny. Awesome guy. Great guy. Definitely not going to hell forever. Bird then answered a series of questions by Holt about the shooting, but what he told the friendly journalist, he likely never told investigators. That's because he refused to answer their questions. <laughs> Yo! At least someone's not talking to the feds. Good for him. <laughs> According to several sources and documents reviewed by Real Clear Investigations. In fact, investigators cleared Bird of wrongdoing in the shooting without actually interviewing him about the shooting or threatening him with punishment if he did not cooperate with their criminal investigation. Wow. The lawyer's account appears to be backed up by a January 2021 internal affairs report, which notes Bird declined to provide a statement DC MPD documents show. He de declined to provide a statement. How do you get away with that? <laughs> Come on. Asked about it, a DC MPD spokeswoman confirmed that Byrd did not cooperate with internal affairs agents or FBI agents who jointly investigated what was one of the most high-profile officer-involved shooting cases in U.S. history. Yeah, no shit it was. MPD did not formally interview Lieutenant Byrd, Deputy DC MPD uh, Communication Director Kristen Metzger said, and, quote, he didn't give a statement while under the U.S. Attorney's Office investigation, end quote. There you go. You got a lot of, lot of sources laying it out for you. Homeboy didn't tell his tale. Not to them. But it gets weirder. Check this out. In April, within four months of the shooting, Byrd was cleared of criminal wrongdoing by the Justice Department, which declined to impanel a grand jury even to hear evidence and a departure from other lethal police shooting cases involving unarmed citizens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, equal treatment under law and whatnot. No, 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 no. Not in the cathedral. Justice ruled there quote, was not enough evidence, end quote, to conclude Bird violated Babbitt's civil rights or willfully acted recklessly in shooting her. <clears throat> I don't know. I'm no judge and jury here, but uh, watch the video and tell me if her civil rights weren't violated because I didn't hear a warning. Bunch of police said they didn't hear a warning either. Bird remains the commander in charge of security for the House of Rep Representatives. Incredible. Maintains his job. Of course. I'm surprised he didn't get promoted to, like, head of the Secret Service. <clears throat> the heavily promoted NBC exclusive told only his account of what happened with no opposing viewpoints. I believe I showed the utmost courage on January 6th, Bird said. In defending his actions, Bird told Holt things he evidently wouldn't tell investigators, including his claim that he shot as a, quote, last resort and only after warning Babbitt to stop. However, Documents uncovered by Judicial Watch reveal that eyewitnesses, including three police officers at the scene, told investigators they did not hear Bird give at Babbitt any verbal warnings prior to firing, contradicting, contradicting what Bird told NBC. So, if you say say you're not even gonna get, you're not even gonna push this guy to talk to you, and you're doing an investigation, right? Your internal affairs or whatever. You have three other police officers at the scene that did tell you i didn't hear any warning before he fired on her why would that alone not be enough to say yeah we're gonna have to interview this guy because he fired point blank at an unarmed woman and there's other police that were right behind her if you recall from the video that say they didn't hear it come on that would uh <laughs> that would raise my eyebrow to what actually transpired huh he admitted to holt that he never actually saw babbitt who stood five foot two and weighed 110 pounds brandish a weapon so he admitted he didn't know that she was unarmed if she were 
Roberts and the Babbitt family are preparing to sue Bird and the Capitol Police in wrongful death claims seeking at least $10 million in damages. God bless them. I hope they get every penny, even though it's coming from government, uh, from taxes and, you know, whatever. But you guys suffered and you deserve to get compensated because that's evil what happened to her. D.C. police officials withheld Bird's uh, identity, first revealed by Real Clear Investigations, and they have not released a formal review of the shooting or the 28-year uh, veteran's disciplinary records, nor did the Capitol Police hold a briefing on Babbitt's death. That's also fucking strange. Records, records uncovered by Judicial Watch reveal authorities ordered her body cremated two days after the shooting without her husband's permission. Now that is fucking weird. So, 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 so weird. I'm not going to go Alex Jones on you, but that is weird. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the feds have thrown the book at suspected, suspected January 6th rioters, publicly identifying them on a Justice Department website, and are still engaged in a national manhunt for suspects. More than 725 defendants have been charged, mostly for relatively minor offenses, ranging from trespassing to disorderly conduct. So far, the select House committee set up to investigate the January 6th siege at the Capitol has not explored the most lethal violence that occurred that day. Bird was responsible for the only shot fired during the riot. All other armed officers showed restraint, including 140 who were injured while confronting rioters. And Babbitt was the only person directly killed on that day. Like the other rioters, she carried no firearm. No guns were recovered from the Capitol. Quite the insurrection. What a bunch of negligent insurrectionists to leave their firearms at home. Tisk tisk. Babbitt wasn't even aware that the officer was nearby because he was positioned in the doorway of a room off to the side of the speaker's lobby doors. Bird, whose mouth was covered with a surgical mask, took aim outside her field of vision and fired as her head emerged through the window. Roberts compared her shooting to an, quote, execution, end quote. I agree. I think it was. Killing her by shooting her at point-blank range was completely unnecessary, he said. This alone renders the shooting legally unjustified. Yes. <laughs> Bingo. And... I mean, you got to, I mean, it just feels like he didn't, he wanted to take her out, man. Cause if, if it's true now, if I, if I see some ever, other evidence that proves that he, he was screaming, get back, get back. I'm going to fire. Like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll retract and say, okay, he gave warning. He was trying to avoid the conflict and perhaps he didn't know it was in her hands, but I don't know how people are erring on the side of this guy. Like, all the evidence I've seen, it looks like a tiny, unarmed woman who wasn't, like, being really violent. I guess, I don't remember if she was the one that broke the window. I think it was other guys. But anyways, uh, her family, by the way, came out with an article, this, uh, you know, a report this week saying that they thought that she was concerned about other protesters that were violent. And she was trying to get inside there for her protection. I have no idea if that's true. So I'm not even going to, you know, consider it, to be honest. And... Then we got Justice Department forms new domestic terrorism unit. So while they have ignored the what I believe is a murder of Ashley Babbitt by one of theirs, they are flipping it and creating a domestic terrorism unit in the Justice Department. Do you understand why Trump supporters in particular are so pissed and blown away and horrified and scared to death? I mean, it makes sense. They they had what they felt was a legitimate grievance. Whether or not it was, that's up to other people to decide. But they felt it was a legitimate grievance about the election. And in response, one of theirs got killed. 
No one that they were protesting against did died or got killed. And uh, as a result, Justice Department forms new domestic terrorism unit. Pretty based. <laughs> Uh, the Justice Department is establishing a new domestic terrorism unit to combat the threat that has more than doubled in the past two years, the head of the agency's National Security Division said Tuesday. I love it when they just quote these government officials as if it's the gospel. Oh, domestic terrorism has doubled in the past year. The threat of it. Whatever that fucking means. How do you quantify the threat? There's certainly not that much domestic terrorism that's occurring, so I don't know what you mean. Today's episode is brought to you by The Daily Job Hunt. Daily Job Hunt is a newsletter that you get every morning for free in your email inbox that'll give you a little bit of information on how to become a better job applicant. Right now, there are millions of job openings that are not being addressed because there aren't enough people that are looking for jobs. And that means an opportunity if you are. If you are in a position in a job where you're not getting paid well enough or they're forcing something on you that you're opposed to, well, you have a path to get out of that quandary. And it might actually benefit you and make you more money. So if you're interested in the daily job hunt, go to crash.co forward slash daily to sign up. As I've said, it's free. They've been a longtime sponsor of mine. Hundreds of you have probably signed up. I don't know the exact number, but uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, like I said, it's free. Go to crash.co forward slash daily. The number of FBI investigators... Uh, in investigations into domestic terrorism has more than doubled since March 2020. Oh, so you're investigating it. So not not convictions, not crime stopped, not actual terrorist attacks, just investigations. So you're investigating more and that means that it's doubled. That is stupid. That's not, that's nothing. You can't say that that's anything. Innocent before guilty and all that? No? Okay. Uh, quote, we face an elevated threat from domestic violent extremists. That's just an assertion without any backing. That is, individuals in the United States who seek to commit violent criminal acts in furtherance of domestic social or political goals, Olson said, domestic violent extremists are often motivated by a mix of ideologies and personal grievances. Yeah, I'm sure they are, as are all human beings that have ever existed. We have seen a growing threat from those who are motivated by racial animus, as well as those who ascribe to extremist anti-government and anti-authority ideologies. There you go, libertarians. They didn't leave you out. Uh, he added, we also remain vigilant to the persistent threat from the international terrorist groups, particularly Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Can't let the war on terror ever end, obviously. we got to keep all of the wars going, drugs, poverty, terror, you know, everything. So, and our, our coup de grace, the great Glenn Greenwald, who I have grown to love and respect deeply, despite him being so, so wrong on economics. He is amazing on everything else. <clears throat> Congress's 1-6 committee claims absolute power as it investigates citizens with no judicial limits. That sentence should scare you, and he backs this up. Glenn Greenwald, do not play. He brings the receipts. You can check him out, glenngreenwald.substack.com. Give him a follow, subscription. He's great. He's amazing. He's very long-winded, though, so I'm, I'm only going to read portions of it. The committee plotted with J.P. Morgan and its lawyers, former Obama AG Loretta Lynch, to obtain a citizen's financial records with no possibility of judicial review. Sneaky, tyrannical devils. Dabbles. <coughs> In its ongoing attempt to investigate and gather information about private U.S. citizens, the Congressional 
116 committee is claiming virtually absolute powers that not even the FBI or other law enforcement agencies enjoy. Indeed, lawyers for the committee have been explicitly arguing that nothing prescribes or limits their authority to obtain data regarding whichever citizens they target, and even more radically, that the checks imposed on the FBI, such as the requirement to obtain judicial authorization for secret subpoenas, do not apply to the committee. So the January 6th committee is basically saying they are above all law, the Constitution, everything else. They can do whatever they want to whoever they want as long as it's in the purview of their investigation. And their purview, their investigation, is about domestic extremism. So if you are investigated as such, it's the Red Scare all over again. It's McCarthyism. Brought anew. How fun. Uh, What Congress is barred from doing, as two McCarthy-era Supreme Court cases rule, there you go, is exactly what the 1-6 committee is now doing, conducting a separate parallel criminal investigation in order to uncover political crimes committed by private citizens. Such powers are dangerous precisely because Congress's, Congress's investigative powers are not subject to the same safeguards as the FBI and other law enforcement agencies. And just as was true of the 1950s House Un-American Activities Committee that prompted those Supreme Court rulings, the 1-6 committee is not confining its invasive investigative activities to executive branch officials or even citizens who engaged in violent or other illegality on January 6th, but instead it is investigating anyone and everyone who exercised their constitutional rights to express views about and organize protests over their beliefs that the 2020 presidential election contained fraud. Indeed, the committee's initial targets appear to be taken from the list of those who applied for protest permits in Washington, a perfectly legal, indeed constitutionally protected act. At least it used to be, huh? This abuse of power is not merely abstract. The Congressional 1-6 Committee has been secretly obtaining private information for, uh, about American citizens en masse. We knew that from Snowden, which was also a, a, a Greenwald investigation. Telephone records, email logs, internet and browsing history and banking transactions, and it has done so without any limitations or safeguards. No judicial oversight, no need for warrants, no legal limitations of any kind. That should put chills down your spine. That is the end of justice in this country. It's the end. If this isn't undone immediately, we basically exist in Iraq 2006. Crazy. And we're the insurgents, not the soldiers this time. Uh, But now the committee is escalating its aggressive investigative actions. They have begun sending subpoenas to private banks, demanding the banking records of private citizens and doing so such that either the person never finds out or finds out too late to obtain a judicial order about the legality of the committee's behavior. In one case, they targeted J.P. Morgan and and these subpoenas while knowing that the bank is being represented by former Obama Attorney General Loretta Lynch. Shout out Loretta. Meeting on that tarmac with Bill Clinton. Lynch, unsurprisingly, I think that was her. Uh, Lynch, unsurprisingly, then directed her client not to accommodate any requests from its own customers to ensure they can seek judicial review. Whoa. It's so dark. Typically, citizens learn when law enforcement agencies such as the FBI serve subpoenas to third-party providers such as banks or internet companies. That allows a crucial right to contest the legality of the action in court before the documents are supplied. But when such a subpoena is concealed from the person, it prevents them from obtaining judicial review. In general, citizens learn of the FBI's subpoenas, and the FBI, with rare exceptions, has the power to impose a gag order or otherwise prevent the person from learning about it only if they uh, first persuade a court that such an extreme measure is warranted by arguing, for instance, that a terrorist suspect will flee or destroy evidence if they learn that they are being investigated. That safeguard ensures that in most cases, a citizen has the right to seek judicial protection from an illegal act by an investigative body. Whoa, you know, like, I don't know, sane 
policies that we should have had forever and have had for a long time, and now they're gone. Cool. But the 1-6 committee recognizes no right of any kind and no limits on its power. On November 23rd, the day after it served a subpoena on Budowich himself, it served a subpoena on Budowich's bank. The original date for the bank to produce the records was December 7th, but J.P. Morgan advised by Loretta Lynch as its legal counsel bizarrely requested that the deadline be extended until December 24th, the day before Christmas, knowing that courts would be closed that day and the next. It was only on December 21st when he was in Washington for his testimony before the committee that J.P. Morgan sent him the notice at his home that it had received a subpoena and intended to produce the requested documents on December 24th, just three days later. As J.P. Morgan and Lynch knew would happen, Budowich did not see the letter until he arrived home on the evening of December 22nd, less than 48 hours before the bank told him they were going to give up all his financial records to the committee. Upon discovering that the committee uh, the, the committee had subpoenaed his bank, Budowich's lawyers immediately advised J.P. Morgan that they had legal objections to the subpoena and requested that, given it was about to be Christmas Eve and the courts would be closed, the bank seek an extension from the committee to enable Budowich to seek a judicial ruling, but the bank, advised by Loretta Lynch, refused and told him they intended to turn the documents over on Christmas, regardless of whether they gave him time to request judicial intervention. The bank even refused to provide a copy of the subpoena they received from the committee, which Budowich to this very day has not seen. Holy shit. Incredible. His financial information was given from the banks to the feds, and he hasn't even seen a subpoena. But he's aware of it. And he tried to get you to review and couldn't. This is just jaw-dropping stuff. And sadly, most people won't even understand the gravity of it. And that breaks my heart. Uh, Budowich was therefore left with no alternative but to file an after-the-fact lawsuit against House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the committee members seeking an emergency injunction against the committee's use of his banking records. In response, both the committee and J.P. Morgan argued that the entire question was moot, given that they had already handed over the documents. So they gave him no time to get judicial review done. And then when he sued, uh, they just said, hey, man, too late, already happened. <laughs> I mean, again, you got to keep some levity with this because otherwise you'll just be like crazy. This is so dark what they did to this guy. The party's briefs on this question were submitted to an Obama-appointed federal judge, again, Obama-appointed, James Boesberg in Washington. The oral arguments on Budowich's request to enjoin the use of his banking records by the committee was held earlier on Thursday, and Judge Boesberg quickly rejected Budowich's objections to the subpoena. It will now be appealed to the Court of Appeals, but the issues presented by the committee's arguments are chilling. At the hearing, the committee's lawyers essentially repeated the same argument they advanced in their legal brief, namely that none of the legal safeguards imposed on the FBI and other law enforcement agencies to guard against abuse of power apply to this congressional committee, keeping in mind that the FBI is so dirty. And they're saying they are above that in terms of capacity to break the law and ignore your rights. That is crazy to me. Just, just stunning which therefore enjoys virtually absolute power to do what it wants. Exactly. Obviously. And here's the closeout. The committee's other arguments are even more extreme, namely that the Constitution's speech or debate clause provides absolute immunity to members and committee uh, committees when performing legislative acts and that sovereign immunity prohibits litigation against Congress to which it has not consented. And no such consent has been. That would mean that the 1-6 committee could literally do whatever it wanted to citizens and no court would have the right even to review the legality of constitutionality of what it was doing, let alone put a stop to it. Holy hell, folks. Like, really embrace the gravity of this.
<clears throat> Stunning. What happened during the first war on terror? And so many other events that were perceived as traumatic is instructive here. So many Americans were so horrified by the carnage of that day that for years, many did not care or want to hear about legal niceties, constitutional limits, or civil liberties regarding the government's actions. Anything the government did in the name of responding to or retali retaliating for 9-11 became inherently justified, and anyone who objected, no matter the principle cited, was deemed to be on the side of the terrorists. This is exactly what I have brought up, God knows how many times, that they, they, this is the ratchet effect, this is the compliance test, they hit us with it after 9-11, Patriot Act, TSA, NSA, all that, and and DHS too. And here we are. Here we fucking are. War on Terror is here. Home. I'm not even going to say I told you so because who cares? Who cares that I told you? We're now all in danger. <clears throat> so sad. The same dynamic is prevailing here. There are serious constitutional limits on the ability of Congress to investigate private citizens. It is blatantly abusive to scheme with J.P. Morgan and its counsel Loretta Lynch to ensure that a citizen has no time to seek judicial relief regarding the committee's attempt to obtain mounds of his personal and financial records. And in general, the committee has been on a rampage targeting not only Trump officials or people who uh, engaged in criminal behavior at the Capitol on January 6th, but a wide group of citizens whose only crime appears to be their political beliefs and associations. Exactly what the Supreme Court cited when striking down the excesses of Congress's McCarthy-era probes of citizens. Yeah. So this is... McCarthyism part due, maybe worse. I think it's worse. Part one of Fauci is finished was actually exclusively on Locals and Rockfin. So if you didn't see it on YouTube, that's why I talked entirely too honestly about what has happened over the past two years and got into some no-no areas. So if you missed that episode, obviously it's on audio. So anywhere you want to listen to the podcast audio-wise, it was there. But for video, it was exclusively on locals.com and rockfin.com. And as I've said many times, uh, you know, if you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com to become a supporting subscriber. Thank you so much. But with the media overwhelmingly cheering anything done in the name of stopping the Trump movement and those who supported 1-6 in any way, all of these civil liberties concerns and constitutional protections, uh, protections are run roughshod over in the name of safety. The latest arguments from the Congressional 1-6 Committee amount to little more than an assertion of unfettered power for Ashiff, Liz Cheney, and the rest of the committee members to dig into the lives of anyone they want without limits. And just so you know, if you're not familiar with Adam Schiff and Liz Cheney, uh, two of the most detestable people in Congress, particularly Adam Schiff. He is one of the most deceitful, just brazen liars I have ever seen in my life. Ever. And he's not good at it. You could see right through his ass. But he, he talks with confidence and he just delivers the MSNBC, you know, Russian collusion lie over and over again with increasing confidence, constantly lying. Blatantly, constantly lying on record, constantly lying, now provable, provable to be disproven, his assertions about the Trump family and how they were all going down. This was the guy, if you remember. He was the guy that kept saying, Trump family, the whole whole empire is going down. It's just a matter of time. If I, Based off what I've seen, Trump better get used to some handcuffs, you know, that type of talk. <clears throat> Lied. Lied through his teeth about all of it. And they want to now have this committee with him and Liz Cheney, daughter of Darth Vader, a.k.a. Satan himself, Dick Cheney, uh, have unlimited power. 
unlimited power to investigate political opponents. Peaceful protesters, the majority of them. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is this is the thing I'm talking about. Like, we take, I feel like we take three, four, five steps back with COVID. We take two steps forward to start to push back against the no jab, no job rules and shit like that. Mass mandates, things like that start to get overturned. Uh, we make a couple steps forward. And while we're, while we think we're taking a couple steps forward, we're actually moonwalking. We're getting dragged backwards like Michael Jackson. And they are fucking destroying us from the backside because this is what's happening. These people are taking just extrajudicial powers that are like, they could do whatever they want. They can do whatever they want on this committee when it comes to this investigation on January 6th. And for the lefties out there, let me reach out to you for a second. If you hate the insurrectionists, fine. Don't care. Have your opinion. What I want to know from you is this. Do you think when the Republicans take the House, which looks very probable a year from now, do you think that they won't use these powers against you? Think about it. Think about it before you let your political enemies suffer the fate you will also suffer. It's not, it's not going to go as smoothly as you think, and you will pay a price just as the people who thought, fuck them terrorists. You come after us on 9-11. You blow up our building. We blow up your country. That was like, that was the moniker of conservatives. They're paying that price now. And perhaps they deserve it. Even lots, lots of de Democrats supported it too. Besides the point. If you go down this path where you now laugh and point and cheer and encourage the imprisonment of political dissidents that were peaceful, particularly the ones that didn't hurt anybody. If you in encourage their lives being destroyed, the Republicans, I promise you, will come for you with the same bullshit, unconstitutional, un-American garbage, because I don't trust either of these parties. But right now, the Democrats are the ones in power, wielding that power with vicious, just malignant power. And they got to be stopped. And it's not enough for the conservatives to be in this fight. If you want to avoid hot conflict in this country, if you want to try and have any chance of sustaining this nation in its current paradigm, well, paradigm as an intact you know, 50 states. Uh, now or never, now or never, you have to offer some semblance of compassion and sympathy for your political opponent. It's really that simple. And if you refuse, you get what you deserve. Same way some of those conservatives that supported the war on terror are getting what they deserve. I don't think anyone deserves this stuff. I, you know, I don't want to frame it like that, but, you know, it's kind of a karmic thing where, you supported giving the government infinite power and then it came back a bitch in the ass 20 years later? I don't think it'll be 20 years. Let me also promise the Democrats that. that. Like, you allow this to, to go against your political opponents because it's expedient and it, it allows you to feel some semblance of power and control. That power and control is fleeting. The people that have the power and control are the people doing your bidding right now, but they won't always be the people doing your bidding. And eventually there'll be people in power that will do the opposite. Look out for one another. Uh, just final note. I think that we are winning on the COVID hysteria front. And 
I'm very grateful for that. I think that many of us should take a little lap of celebration and appreciate that we have stood up and woken up a lot of people and we have fought tooth and nail to try to uh, to stem the tide of this insanity. So we've done we've done our part um, as much as we could, and I think it made a diff it made a difference. I believe that. I'm not saying me. I'm just saying like the collective, all of us that have been cur courageous enough to speak out about this stuff when it was very unpopular early on, and and it feels good. And you should take a, a minute because we've been like on the grind constantly for two years and or a year and a half and yeah, twenty months. <clears throat> and you know, you work that hard, you deserve a vacation. So take a couple days off, pat yourself on the back. It looks like we're going to stop most of these most tyrannical policies when it comes to COVID. If you're in red states in particular, blue states, good luck. You should have left anyways. Um, <laughs> but I would just want to remind you guys is like, yeah, that's all good. And, and definitely enjoy it for a minute. Then I want you to remember, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the economic destruction that these policies have wrought, the mental health crisis that this has wrought, the civilizational decline that this has wrought, all of it combined, we haven't seen the worst of because there is the seen and the unseen, as they say. And the unseen consequences, I mean, I, I don't like calling them the unseen consequences because I knew and was warning people, inflation, eventual depression, suicide, drug overdoses, alcoholism, spousal abuse, divorce, child abuse. I, I listed, I had a thread in, I think it was May of 2020, where I listed all of my concerns about what lockdowns would do if they were extended for any significant period of time. <clears throat> I don't bring this up to say, ooh, I was right, which I was, so fuck you. Um, but I bring it up to say, you know, this is, this wasn't unforeseen. If you understand Austrian economics, if you understand human nature to a certain extent, if you understand the nature of government and tyranny and power and how it corrupts, didn't take a rocket scientist, you know? I don't think I could build a rocket, to be honest. Uh, but I did nail these predictions and it's because I understand those things pretty well. And a lot of people did. So I'm not like solo crediting here. But uh, the unforeseen consequences of, of this are still not being acknowledged. And, and this is going to be a really rough time. I think that we have the, the roughest waters, the hardest seas still lie in front of us. And we just went through a fucking big ass hurricane storm on the sea. And it's like, eh, get ready. Round two is coming. Um, I think that the, the mental health crisis for children, I, I haven't seen enough, you know, statistics on it to really know, but I have seen some examples here and there of kids that are like, like not kids, but uh, either teachers or counselors speaking out about how absolutely destroyed these kids are. Many of them are non-communicative. You know, I would imagine they're going to be classified as autistic, but I, I bet many of them are not. And uh, I'm just very concerned. And so anyways, I don't want to close this out on a sad note, but rather a hopefully unifying one in that I think it's really important that we look out for each other right now and for the next, for the foreseeable future. Uh, and I mean that for everybody, even the vax lunatics. Like if you have a relative that 
was really, really evil to you for the past two years, and they come back around and they start to act more human as the media tells them that it's acceptable to not hate you anymore, try to find it in your heart to be forgiving. Try. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying try. Life's really short. It's not fun to live with that weight on your soul and on your heart. And ultimately, I think we're going to need each other. And I think if we want to avoid violence and war, uh, we got to find some way to rise above this. And it's going to be very hard because I want vengeance. Uh, and as I've said many times, vengeance, I think, should be sought for the people that orchestrated this and implemented it. And I think that forgiveness, more than anything else, should be sought for those that were duped. And do they share in culpability? Of course. Are they guiltless? Fuck no. Uh, but these are your fellow human beings. And they're flawed. And you've had mistakes. Maybe you supported the war in Iraq back 20 years ago. You know, just remember, not everyone's where you're at. Maybe they'll get there someday. And when they do, have some grace. Have some humil humility. Have some forgiveness in your heart and some love for them. And hopefully they can return it. Have a good night. Thank you for tuning in. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feppening. A typo with Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcast sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copied the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic and rip a 59 Miles to ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe